beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. When I met Tandi a few years ago, I was in my late 40s and she was 18. I immediately liked her a lot and felt an immense amount of compassion towards her. Yet we never really connected though. I moved out of Cape Town and hardly ever saw her again, until I started running into her again about two years ago, in service structure meetings of a fellowship we both belonged to. She was still the lovely young lady I met a few years ago. But something has changed. We have been connecting a bit more since then, and today we bring you the story of Tandi's journey. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counselling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Meet Me in the Field also enjoys the support of African Travel Kit Adventures and Tours, the travel company that will help you to make the unknown your known. Check them out at africantravelkit.com. Sit back and enjoy. Good morning, Tandi. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Are you nervous? A little bit. Why? <laughs> There's really no reason. Um, as I said earlier, uh, I'm a self-indulgent talker, <laughs> and I go on and on about my spiritual change because I've been at two complete ends of the spectrum, so this is actually right up my alley. I think it's the excitement that's turned into nerves. I thought about it this morning, somehow while I was making my bed, about the difference between excitement and nerves. And I think I get them confused quite often. Mm. I don't know whether I'm nervous, whether I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm not very good at emotions. But to answer your question, I'm well, thank you very much. And I'm very grateful. I actually did a gratitude meditation this morning. Yeah. So I'm in a very grateful space. And I'm very grateful that you're doing this. And I'm very grateful to have made my acquaintance with the cutest little sphinx <laughs> kitten that's playing around on the floor here next to us. I want, tried to take a photo, but he did not want to sit still. I, I think the audience will hear words. intermittent giggles every now and again. <laughs> yeah, so if you hear giggles, then you must know. What's her name? <laughs> Mitzi. That Mitzi is up to, up to no good year around us, which is so sweet. Tandy, you're a local girl. You're Capitonia. Yes, born okay. and bred. Born and bred Seapoint? I grew up in Half Bay. Okay. And I spent the last four years in Seapoint Greenpoint, and I'm about to move into Arbus, actually. Ah, yeah. and where did you go to school? I went to school in Hout Bay. Okay. I went to Crinandale Primary School, and then I went to Westerford for six months in high school, and I, lo- I, I lasted a grand total of six months. That was all. And it's apparently a hard high school to get into, so I have the benefit of saying I got in uh-huh. without having to have actually had stay. <laughs> and then I spent the rest of my time at Camps Bay, okay. and then I actually got sick at the end of my matric year. And then I matriculated two years after everyone else. Oh, no. Um, not in a school independently through the Western Cape Education Department. Oh, wow. It was wow. a <laughs> So did you have to study from home then? Like an independently? Yeah. yeah. And it was a lot more complicated than that because I was the last school year to do outcomes-based education, that syllabus. And then in 2013, they ended that and they moved on to CAPS. Uh. And it was a whole new syllabus. Also, um, Drama and art weren't available as subjects to write, which were what I had done in high school. Oh my god. So I had to pick up two new subjects from scratch. So I did business and geography without a tutor, having to learn from home in about five months. Are you serious? So I just got super, super fat. I just stressed ate the entire (laughs) time. I literally gained 20 kilograms in nine months. Some people have a kid in nine months. I ate the weight of a kid. (laughs) (gasps) That must have been so stressful. It was not a fun time. No. <laughs> oh wow! Listen, and you're Jewish. Uh, not practicing. But okay. Like ethnically, yeah. Did you grow up in the Jewish religion with the customs and everything that goes with that? I like to say I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on the ish. I like that. Um, my mother was grew up in a Christian faith. She was Anglican. Okay. My dad was Jewish, but I didn't grow up with him. I grew up with my mom. So I had influences from both sides without either one actually being dominant or or forced upon me. 
Then I ended up being baptized when I was 10 out of my own accord. Okay. My best friend's parents were both priests. So they were a very religious family, but so kind, so giving, so loving. They were kind of my solace from my own family. And I think I really wanted to be a part of them so much. So I ended up being baptized into their religion, attending church quite regularly, going to Sunday school, and then two to three years later going, actually, no thanks, not for me. <laughs> With a teenage hormone struck. Yeah. <laughs> 12, 13, no, I'm too angsty for this. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded as if your, your parents got divorced very early in your life. Mm. Well, they were never actually married. Okay. Um, they separated when I was about four or five as far from amicably as it could get. <laughs> my mom would like call my father the spawn of Satan. Oh my God. was not a great time. They really used me as a pawn uh, in their arguments. Oh no. Um, yeah, no, no forethoughts of this is a child, she must be protected. So yeah, I was, I was felt abandoned by both of them. And it's funny because I think I shared this the, the day you asked me to be on the podcast, but I have this theory that people's relationship with their higher power is reflective of the relationship they have with their parents because I hear a lot of people who are very angry with their higher power are so angry with their parents <laughs> or people who feel punished by their parents feel punished by their higher power yeah. and I genuinely didn't believe my higher power was there when I became an atheist it's funny I think a lot of people claim atheism because they're angry with their God it's not from a genuine place of not believing yeah. I honestly did not believe and in the same way I honestly did not believe I had parents, I honestly did not believe there was a God. But that was my own ego because, as I've said before, you know, someone taught me how to shit in the toilet. Someone taught me how to use cutlery. <laughs> yeah. um, I did not teach myself yeah. that. And in the same way there was someone teaching me and, and showing me how to live a life, there was always someone looking after me. Okay. And I just had my own ego perception of self and being self-sufficient that made it difficult for me to see something above myself. Yeah. So. It sounded as if the space you grew in not exactly what we would call spiritual. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yet there was an awareness of religion. Mm. And there she goes. <laughs> Sweet. And could you, in your childhood mind, you've been pulled between two entities, mm. mom and dad, with an awareness of what religion and what the religious principles are, mm. yet you're not seeing it in life, mm. and being taught religious studies at school? I actually thought I went to a secular school until I looked back on it and I realized we had to pray every Friday at assembly. Okay. And we had religious studies in grade three. And even though I grew up with religion, I actually never had a sense of spirituality. I didn't have a sense of real spirituality up until almost two years ago exactly and it's funny because my psychiatrist has told me that there are five pillars to mental health because I, I grew up with childhood bipolar I've got borderline as well I've got CPTSD which are all actually labels and I feel like I have since being in therapy have far less symptoms of all of them since I've okay. actively worked on myself and cool. that's because I, I, I have all five pillars in my life one is medication one is therapy one is exercise one is lifestyle and one is spirituality and since I've accessed spirituality, it has been the biggest improvement in my mental oh, health. Oh, wow. Because I, I grew up thinking I would be mentally ill and all over the place my entire life, especially when you grow up with bipolar. And I, I had my bipolar symptoms kick in around eight or nine. Oh, wow, that's yeah. Ugh. But it, it was exacerbated by a life trauma because my family lost our, our home. It was auctioned by bank. Okay. So, and it happened on my seventh birthday. Oh no. And it's funny because the number seven will come up in my sharing of how I came to believe later. But it was my crown birthday and everyone was saying, oh, this is going to be your best birthday. And then on the birthday, oh, there were people walking God. through the house saying, oh, we're going to bash down this wall. We're going to put another room there. And it was, it was awful. So I began to hate the number seven. <laughs> Shame. And uh, we were eventually basically evicted uh, the following year when I was eight. And my mother, who was already an alcoholic, who I don't believe is a full-on borderline, but has many borderline traits, okay, which made for a very unfun upbringing, you. that was just propelled into an even darker space. And now as an adult, I can understand that there was really no way for her to cope. I mean, her yeah. whole life fell apart. So I was living with an alcoholic mother. I'd gone from having an older brother and an older sister 
um, in the family with my mom and I in a home with over four bedrooms and my mom and I were forced into a cottage with only four rooms and my brother and sister were old enough to not stay in the home okay so I was alone with her and her behavior was also very much kept a secret between us my family still doesn't actually really grasp or believe the things I told them that happened so all that stress of having a mother completely change and abdicate her role as a parent so you became the mother oh yeah and it's funny because the first time I entered therapy they said you parent your mother a bit and I'm like no 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 she just needs help <laughs> and then the following year I heard there's been a role reversal and I'm like no 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 I just parent her sometimes and then I was in a clinic <laughs> at 16 and they said this is codependence and I went no it's just a small role reversal <laughs> and then when I entered SAA a covert <clears throat> incest and I went no it's just codependence <laughs> A process of taking a really long time to grasp what had happened. <laughs> so it was a step-by-step -step progressive breaking of the denial. Yeah. It took a few years, but you eventually wow. got there. Yeah, and it's funny because... So Buddha's realization is I've just realized that I've always been realized. And I actually don't know when I did realize fully what had happened because at some stage I always knew and there was just so much denial impeding me from that realization when I realized I had always realized I always knew and even now there's things that I realized were very unwell when I was four or five years old and I think no but a piece of me knew that but only as an adult can I actually integrate and deal with that knowledge because yeah. I believe these things were we're not able to deal with them when they happen and we can't berate ourselves for taking so long to deal with Absolutely. traumas because we're not ready at certain ages and that's where something like emotional incest mm. is, is such an important thing to realize that it's happened. Yeah. We need to be emotionally mature enough to deal with certain things in life before those things should happen to us. Mm. Listen, Tandi, so effectively you realize that there's a need for something, hence the move towards the religion. Mm. But it obviously didn't give you what you were looking for no I was also I was it was for the wrong reasons I yeah. was looking for acceptance from a family yeah rather than a spiritual path yeah it's mine because intent is everything and I had the wrong intent oh, okay because it was funny because the year after my best friend's family moved out of Hout Bay was the year I lost faith so when they weren't there I had no reason to continue yeah. attending church because oh, okay. I didn't have that family structure yes. anymore that need for acceptance mm -hmm for belonging yeah very much yeah. yeah so you said you ended up in a clinic at 16 yes. was that for depression yes so I had had a massive manic episode at school and I'd always been able to hide my mania I could conveniently leave a class or or have a panic attack behind a corner and the mania happened like the first period of the day oh, well. and when break hit I went to the council's office and I don't think I'd ever been there before and I said listen I have bipolar I'm having a manic episode I'm on the board of having an anxiety attack I don't know what to do and I just sat there for about an hour and a half until I realized it wasn't calming down my mother came to pick me up and then I was in like a mixed episode space for a couple weeks mm. and up until then I had always known what I had was bipolar, but the first psychiatrist I saw said it was just depression. Ah. And then I came in with like full-on mania because I was only on antidepressants, which spiked the mania yeah. and made it worse. And I couldn't go back to school because I was so worried about, because it had become a trigger for anxiety. And my social anxiety, it's something people don't believe now, but I became agoraphobic as a teenager. I couldn't leave home. I had huge amounts of anxiety in any social situation. And I wanted to be homeschooled. So I couldn't go back to school. Um, I didn't know what to do. The depression, the mania, they were all kind of spiraling. I went on antipsychotics for the first time. And eventually we realized I need a lot more help. So I went into the adolescent unit at Kaya. Okay. And I was there for about a month. And honestly, it didn't do a great job. <laughs> <laughs> but I also went back to the same home situation. Yeah. And leaving my home situation is also the catalyst for the, the improvement I've had in the last few years. Okay. Yeah. How old are you now? I hate asking women this. <laughs> I'm so young that it's not offensive yet. <laughs> <laughs> I turned 23 last month. No, month before last now, because we're in April now. Yeah. yeah, okay. So I got to know you how long ago? I was 18, about to turn 19. You were young, I young, was young, very young, young. It was so weird. I saw you 
And I had so much compassion for you. But I felt unable to express it mm. somehow. I wouldn't have received I, it I well. don't know why. <laughs> it, it, is it? So, so, yeah. so the message I got was rather not. Yeah. I think I was still in very much a place of my default mode was self-pity. Because a lot of people told me when I entered recovery, you're so lucky to enter recovery so young. Yeah. And obviously, self-pity mode went, oh, I'm lucky to be as fucked up as you are at your age. <laughs> and I'm only a teenager. <laughs> so you, oh, in my case, you took 43 years to get so fucked up. I managed it in 18 Exactly. Years. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, and at first I began to kind of integrate that, oh, you're lucky that you can change your life and not have it progress to an even worse space. But now I realize I'm lucky to have accessed a program. So yeah. Yeah. that has also been one of the biggest improvements for my mental health. I know I'm doing I'm my best self when I'm working a program. My, my mood is the most stable. So you are a grateful recovering person. Oh, so much. I'm yeah, me so well. grateful for my addiction because I wouldn't be in the space I'm in yeah. if I didn't have something propel me to such a bad space. Like, What brought me into recovery was a sexual assault about the month before I entered. That and I remember. Yeah. For, for someone to tell me you will be grateful for this in the space when I was still kind of reeling from the PTSD of it, I would not have accepted that. But I would not have entered recovery so young if something didn't expatiate my hypersexuality because hypersexuality, which is like the clinical diagnosis for you know excessive amounts of sex, yeah. is very common in the wake of sexual trauma. Yes. And for me to have a pre-existing condition and then be propelled into an even worse space because of the assault made me into recovery that young. And I didn't actively start recovering for another two years. How did you learn about SA? When I was in the Kenilworth Adolescent Unit, there was a girl who'd come from Stepping Stones who claimed to be a sex addict. And I know she did it very much for the glamour now because I've never seen her in a meeting. Ah. I know it's no longer an issue for her. So I knew that it was a thing. And then I remember being forced to come to the realization that my relationship with sex was far from healthy in the weeks following my assault. And I Googled sex addiction for the first time. Okay. And I found that like 40 questions of self-diagnosis. I Googled Mm. SAA. I was living in Seapoint and the only meeting at the time I could get to was the Greenpoint meeting because I didn't have a car. I didn't even have a matric. Like my life has been so non-linear in what you would expect development to be and you're being an adult as a child being a complete child as an adult (laughs) taking step one before I even learned how to parallel park (laughs) 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 very all over the place (laughs) Um, so thankfully I did have that one meeting to get to and as I'm sure you know and if people are familiar with our fellowship there aren't a lot of women and it wasn't the most comfortable space for me to be in but I was so desperate I knew that I had to stay there and I was also very lucky that my first meeting someone was sharing their step one okay and I learned very early to identify and not compare because of me as an 18 year old listening to people speak Mm. about paid for sex and if I thought that's all sex addiction is I don't have it yeah but when I heard this person sharing about the shame they had and their compulsive pursuit despite hating what they were doing, I knew that was the space for me. If I'd attended any other regular meeting, I think I would have left. But I knew that was the space I had to be in. Okay. Mm. Until two years later, I had a car and was in an awful space and I knew that I had to find a sponsor and I went to SLA looking for a female sponsor for the first time. And I remember thinking, why is it only now that I'm getting to SLA and only now I can find a sponsor? But I wouldn't have been receptive to it before there. I had to be in a really, really dark space again. And I didn't have a car until then. It's one of those things, in retrospect, everything makes sense. And I believe that the time in which it happened was actually perfect for me. Yeah. Mm. Listen, Tandy, so the reason for leaving school was the the bipolar and anxiety. Yeah, it was actually why I didn't finish my matric on time. Okay. Yeah. And then you finished matric from home mm. while working through a recovery program as well. I wasn't actually working recovery you were just yet. You were just attending meetings? I was meetings just attending too. meetings. Okay. And I used it more as a reactive measure to each oncoming crisis rather than okay. how to proactively stay safe. Okay. Um, and I didn't have a sense of a higher power up until 2016 when I 
literally had divine intervention in the most incredible ways imaginable. Tell me, tell me. So, <laughs> Talk, <it> woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was probably, it happened the week after I attended my first SLA meeting. And I went there and there was this woman who I felt very drawn to. We had a lot of similarities and I asked if she was available to sponsor. And then the following week she shared. But before this happened, it was weird. I heard her share on the 7th of May. In the week coming up to the 7th of May, I kept seeing on Facebook that there were all these events happening on the 7th of May that all my friends were interested in. Uh, someone I knew was having a big birthday. A friend's band was having their first album launch. Obviously, I'm young, so I have a lot of friends in denial about the marijuana use, and they were all going to the, the Dachla March, uh, and there was something else, and it, there was literally an event popping up every day that was going to be happening on the 7th of May, and it's now foreshadowing, I can see. I remember thinking, wow, the 7th of May is a big day for people, and in this week, I had a friend in SAA who had told me, "If you, I know you're going through a terrible space, message me if you need help, and I was having an awful day at Varsity. I had a friend who was such a toxic relationship. He was an active addiction for drugs. Sorry, I'm quickly going to interrupt you. So you, you, you did matric from home and you got vast exemption? Yes. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm giving a big frown here. For, for, <laughs> because we're not video recording it, I have to explain my facial expression. It's kind of, wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. But here I am at university in the week leading up to the 7th of May. I have a friend who is purposefully trying to trigger me. And now mm. I use the, friend, the term friend very loosely. And the friend in SAA had told me, if you need help, message me. And I remember thinking, no, I'm an island unto myself. I'm going to carry this all. I'm not going to reach out. And I looked up and his name was on a van. <laughs> and I went, girl, you got to message your friend. The universe is saying, look, look for help. It's yeah. here. So I messaged him. I ended up being able to meet him during lunch. I ended up being able to calm down. And then on the 7th of May, I went to an SLA meeting and my sponsor shared and her story was so similar to mine that I kind of went, it's like, it's like I've been given this person, I've been given access to her, this is meant to happen. And I'd also been having all these realizations um, like every night, doing step work, getting in touch with myself, I kept seeing these patterns. Did you start the HAL program then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, so doing step work every night was... Yeah, the HAL program is quite intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's an emotional boot camp, very definitely. Yeah. And then on the 7th of May, I had gone from my meeting to the vegan market, which was on the first Saturday of the month. And I'd met someone there who I'd known previously, and we had this huge discussion about Judaism, and about God, and religion, and belief. And then I realized that in the previous weeks, I kept having these interactions with people of different faith. And it was like something was telling, was like reaching out to me saying, I don't care how you believe, just that you do. I'm going yeah. to keep giving you access. And I just kind of came to this realization, everything's been constructed for me. Like this day, the 7th of May was foreshadowed. And mm. I just had this overwhelming sense that something was there for me. Yeah. And I just kind of surrendered in that moment. Oh. I took it back very slowly after that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was my first, Oh, very slowly. You yeah. better I, I would give with one and then grab with the other. Kind of. <laughs> But then following that, on the Saturdays, and it was always happening in patterns relating to the number seven. And it was funny because I always hated the number seven because of what had happened on my yeah. birthday. And then I came to this realization that the number was following me. And I started reaching out to someone I knew who studied metaphysics. And she was very into astrology and numerology. And I sent her this message on Facebook. I'm being stalked by the number seven. <laughs> I used to mock what you did, but I am open to everything now. And as I'm sending this message... Blessed with open-mindedness. As I'm sending this message, I say a link next to the Facebook message, which is to the page of a friend I had who has a, a drag persona. And I think, oh, I should like his page. So I stop what I'm doing. I click on... And I also am trying to get away from actually reaching out. I'm looking for a distraction. <laughs> I click on his page... And then the first post on his page is about a girl who's doing a 100 days of drawing drag artist kind of drag artists initiative. And my friend says, isn't it magical I'm the seventh person she's drawn? It is the number of mysticism. I take a, I, I think no one's going to believe this. I take a photo of this post and it's seven minutes past the hour. 
And I was truly stalked by the number seven. And then the Saturday following this first realization, I had gone to a meeting and then a friend had messaged me who also lives in Seapoint. She said, I desperately need to get to Cork Bay for a shoot. My dad can't take me, he's out of town. I'll compensate your petrol. Please, will you help me get there? And I would have helped this friend regardless um, because she's she's beautiful. She doesn't think she's worthy of a lot of help. So I very much wanted to go out of my way oh, through, through so a codependence issue it as also, well. It also sounds familiar. She doesn't think she's worthy of exactly. help. Exactly. Mm. Um, but also I was very much learning for the first time the, the ethos of I can only keep what I have by giving it away. And I had been given so much by the universe. I wanted to give back. So I drive her to Cork Bay. She gives me 150 rand for the to compensate me for my drive and my petrol. And I think, I'm in Cork Bay, I'm not gonna go home now. Let me spend the day here. So I go to a restaurant on the water and I'm having this, this bowl of chips and a woman looks over at me and she says, you look like you're in pain. <laughs> and I responded, What's that? This is at Brass Bell. Brass Bell, okay. Yeah. I must tell you about my Brass Bell experience, which I told my husband about last night for the first time. Re I would love to hear it. <laughs> but I respond to, you look like you're in pain. I'm an actress, pain is my profession. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so pretentious now to look back on it, but she could tell it was tongue in cheek, so she laughed, but I wasn't, it wasn't void of irony. And we end up sitting together because we're both alone and we're talking and I'm telling her about these experiences I'm having. And she is an incredibly spiritual person and she keeps using the word God. And she says to me, a lot of people are scared of the G word because no. of how it's loaded with mind. religion no. and and all these things that are forced upon us, but it's just the most accessible word I have. And she ended up gifting me a free meditation course. Oh. Yeah. And I remember I left soon after, I got her details, and I got my bill for the chips, and I thought I'd ordered, this is gonna sound petty, but it's part of the story later. The chips, when I'd asked how much they were, were like 20 something rand. But then when I got my bill, I realized they'd given me a large chips instead of a small chips. Yeah. So now it's like close to 50 rand, including the tip. And I only have 150 rand on me. And I, was, I thought, I've just been given so much by the world. I'm not going to cause a fight over getting a large <laughs> chips instead of a small, even though I didn't finish them, because I'm still coming sort of from a place of self-pity. I'm only emerging from it. So I give the 50 rand. And at the time, as I'm leaving the Cork Bay parking lot, the Brass Bell parking lot, it's still during the time there were massive roadworks at the bottom of Boys Drive. Oh, God, yeah. So instead of turning left to face them and go up Boys Drive, I think, no, 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 I'm going to turn right. I'm going to miss this traffic. And it's weird because the way that I have to turn out of the traffic, it's, it's difficult to turn right because of the way that the cars are positioned yeah. in the lineup. And I thought, no, 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 no I'm going to go this way. And I go straight to drive up into a driveway and then reverse out so I can go right. And as I go up, I just miss the actual driveway and I end up getting a flat tire. Oh no. I didn't wanna, and I'd also had a couple parking tickets in the last week and I didn't Ooh. wanna call a parent for help. I wanted to be self-sufficient and the second people saw me get a flat tire, they rushed up towards me and they said, can we help you? And I lied and I said, I have no money, I can't because I was hoping I could call AA because I have never changed a flat tire. Yeah. I'm still very much a little girl. And I also want to keep this hundred round I have. Yeah. And eventually the security guard who works at the hotel driveway I had driven up helps me fix my car. He changes my tire for me. And I say, I don't have any money on me, but I'm going to call and I'm going to thank you. I'm going to find a way to compensate you. And then I start driving in the direction of no traffic. And something in me is so uncomfortable. I am so uncomfortable with the fact someone has helped me and I have not given anything back. But in order to turn around and give him money now, I have to sit in the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so I turn around oh, and God. I go through all this traffic and I think this is right. This person needs this hundred rand far more than me. And here's also something that's interesting to note. My car is a company vehicle from my dad's company. Okay. So all my petrol slips are given back to him because there's a tax benefit. Okay, yeah. So I don't pay for my petrol, yeah. it is given to me. So I'm not actually losing money. Yes. I have been given this 150 Rand where I would have helped a friend anyway. And I realized I can only keep what I have by giving it away and I'm not owed this money in the first place. And I was also realizing at the time, I'm not owed a lot of people. I'm not owed people's attention, which is a big thing for someone with sex and love addiction to, <laughs> to swallow. Yeah. So I was learning that I'm, I'm not entitled to things. I have to give away. 
So I sit in this traffic, I go back, I get in the parking lot, and it was funny because at first when I pulled into the parking space, I was a little off, and I and it, I was just going to be there for like five minutes while I gave the money, but I hate parking like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so I reverse, I come back in, and um, there's a lot of homeless people who sit around in the parking lots, and they laugh, they're like, we appreciate you parking nicely, and I was like, thanks. <laughs> so I go... I find the guy who helped me with my tire. I give him a hundred rand and I say, thank you so much. And I leave. And I'm so overwhelmed with this feeling of giving. And now I don't have anything to give the people who've been in the parking lot. But at the time, um, I used to carry Tic Tacs in my car. <laughs> so I give them, I, uh, I give this, this one lady my, my little carton of Tic Tacs. And I say, thank you for watching my car for five minutes. Unfortunately, this is all I have. And as I'm reversing, something I see something in her change, and she goes, by the way, the tire just had replaced is very flat. Oh, no. Because I've only been driving for a few months. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I can't feel things in my car yet. And I know had I not given them something, they would not have yeah. rewarded me with this information. But the only petrol station I can get to is now in Fishhook, where I have to sit through oh, all the traffic again. God. So I want to go home. I want to go through the way I originally wanted to go, which is void of traffic, but now I have to sit in more traffic. <laughs> I go, I get my tire pumped up, and then I have to sit through more traffic on the way back. <laughs> and I could just tell, the universe was telling me, you can't go your own way. We're going to keep impeding you. There is a path you have to take, and you cannot ignore it. And I was just so overwhelmed with the feeling of something. Um, I'm not overwhelmed with it all the time. I, even though I know there's always something there, I, I don't feel it, but I felt it. And I started crying on the drive home and I just started praying for the first time so sincerely saying, I can see something's there and I can <laughs> see you are looking after me and I have been wrong my entire life and I am willing to open my eyes. And I had these kind of drastic universal interactions like, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, yeah. all following the seventh, and I now have a little um, seven over here tattooed. Oh, I'm showing my ankle. I've got a little floral seven. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, and it, I, I couldn't deny that there was something there after yeah. that. And I still have the number seven pop up. Like uh, I got in a, a last minute ticket to see my favorite play, The Road to Mecca, in the last week. Uh -huh. And my mom had bought the ticket for me, and then we went to collect it. She didn't know what number she had booked. Okay. It ended up being the number seven. Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> And it, it's there, like, it's it's so there. And I know people often, when you're on the lookout for something, it pops up more often, but this is not that. Everyone <laughs> I share this with, they go, I'm willing to believe yeah. that number seven is stalking you. So it sounds as if that specific day for you was a day of, I don't know whether there's, there's a word for what I want to use now, but as if it was a day of spiritual melody mixed with awakening mm. mixed with eventually the surrender of self-will of closed-mindedness of everything as if that's the day that your mind opened for whatever it very is much, to very much that's amazing and once i started opening it just opened more and more on this this meditation course i was gifted it worked on a, a lot on um the, the writings of eckhart tolle Oh. And we were doing a meditation where we were kind of finding a silence and then speaking to the inside of ourselves and seeing who responds and looking at the observer. And when I entered recovery, I used to hear a lot of people talk about my addict. And I used to think, that sounds like a convenient way to not look at your own behavior, yeah. like to uh, convenient yeah. compartmentalization. And then I realized there is a me that knows what's best and there's another side yeah. that's actually... So I don't want to use the word convenient, but, but useful to separate a very self-destructive side from a much deeper side that has innate wisdom. Yeah. And it's so funny because the promise that we will intuitively know what is right, I kind of went, mm, that's <laughs> never going to happen. Because I, it's amazing I, how quickly it does happen. I haven't had a sense of, I hadn't had a sense of intuition for the longest time. I even did a casting a workshop at university where we would sit in front of the camera and the rest of us would say would be asked questions by the director how old do they look do they look like they're closer with their mother or their father um, what are you subconsciously communicating and whenever I was asked what do you read from there I just went I don't know and the director could say well what does your intuition tell you and I'm like don't fucking have any <laughs> and then a couple of weeks following this 
so I have a dog, and I was living in Half Bay during this time, and I used to take him for a collie mix. A collie, oh, yeah, he's gorgeous. Also, also <laughs> such a he, <laughs> such a higher power gift because my he came to well. me the day before my birthday. Ah. He was a street dog that found me the night before I turned twenty-two. Oh, so he found you. He found me, and I. It was funny because when he walked into this restaurant. I assumed it was a restaurant I was working at. He walked into the restaurant. He came up to me. He sat in front of me as if to say, table for one. I'd like a menu when you're ready. <laughs> and I thought this was the most beautiful dog I'd ever seen. I looked closer because I was expecting his owners to come in because it's a yeah. dog-friendly restaurant. No one followed. I had a look at him. His nose was so dry. Oh. The sand was almost dented into his nose. It oh, wasn't just shit. external. It was yeah. dried in there. It took two months of cleaning to actually... Oh get word. it out like cleaning it daily and then rehydrating his nose and what I pieced together because at first I thought he was missing so I posted on a Hout Bay Facebook group and then what I gathered from everyone's comments and then the people who worked at the kitchen of the restaurant I found out that he had apparently belonged to a homeless man who had passed he'd gone on to a car guard people kept him alive by donating to the car guard and then someone bought him off the car guard and then for whatever reason him back on the street oh no and they had a business next to my restaurant so i think maybe they continued to leave food and water out there for him and then he walked into the restaurant for the first time and i thought and i I told him if you wait for me i will take you home so if you have you have somewhere to sleep for the night and i had every intention of finding his owner or taking him to dog yeah and when i called my mom because i was temporarily living with her at the time i said listen there's this homeless dog please can I take him home I started crying because I was already in love with him and then the next day when I'd heard all the stories and someone had actually tried to take him home before and he left them oh my word meanwhile when I asked him to stay at this restaurant he just patiently waited until (laughs) the end of my shift took him to the vet they uh, checked him for a trip and when they were scanning him I was not breathing (laughs) because I thought if this dog belongs to someone my heart will break yeah and when they said, yep, it's confirmed. We don't have any reports of a dog missing matching this description. There's no chip. He's a homeless dog. What are you going to do? I just went, keep him. <laughs> I'm in love. He's fine. You're and it mine. was the most beautiful thing to ever happen to me. So on the last tangent I was on, <laughs> I was taking him to the beach at around, it was during the summer, around 6, 7 every morning. And there was one morning, and I didn't take my bag to the beach because... I don't need to, and it has my driver's license in it. But when you're living in Health Bay, there's never traffic officers there. And there was one morning I overslept, and we went to the beach at around half past eight. And I was looking at my bag, I got in the car, and something just went, take your bag with you so you have your license. And on a Thursday morning at half past eight, for the first time, I encountered (laughs) a roadblock. And I happened to have my license, and I realized... I'm having that internal sense of intuition yeah. I've never had because I think oh, wow, yeah. I think an active addiction, particularly with sexual addiction, to do so much wrong to your body, you have to go against your gut all the time. Yeah. You have to go against what you know is best for you. You have inner, to suppress it completely. The inner child is screaming. And that's why I had no sense of intuition because it had been cut off because I was constantly ignoring it. Yeah. And because I was now listening to myself, I just had this this intuition I don't know how else to explain it take your bag take your license and that was that was the promise coming true I knew what was right and what was wrong I don't always (laughs) but I know a lot more than I used to I hear you (laughs) Kalk Bay Mm -hmm. please tell me I told my husband last night I don't know how we ended up doing that and I arrived in Cape Town on the 5th of January 1993 Mm. and I hated Cape Town I hated Cape because I was very active in athletics in Transvaal in those days in Johannesburg and we were just enemies with the Western mm-hmm. Province. And the Western, <laughs> I found the Western Province people arrogant and bada 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 bada. So when I arrived in Cape Town, it was kind of under duress, I had to come and work here. And the minute I stepped onto the tarmac, my soul said to me, you're home. Mm. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. I can't be home. I hate this place. No, you don't. <laughs> And um, I ended up exploring Cape Town terribly in my, in my free time and loving it. And one Sunday morning, like at 10, 11 o'clock, a rainy Sunday morning, stormy in Calc Bay at Brass Bell, mm. having a glass of red wine already an alcoholic. <laughs> um, 
I thought, if I have so much fun doing touristy things in Cape Town, what, is it, what must it feel like to be a tourist in Europe? The Monday morning I booked a, a, a trip to Europe. And since then, I've been I, I travelled quite a lot. So that was the the, the start for me of of, there's, there's of, an, open, of there. an open mind again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I also believe that my cat is a a gift from a higher power. Mm. I found him a dog. Mm. Long story short, he arrived on a Saturday with one broken leg, which was in plaster in Paris, okay. and the other leg was um, shaven, and he had an operation. He had yeah. pins put, pins put in. So when I walked through, I went with my friend Kirsty, the cat lady of this podcast. We walked through together and I be, she said, the cat will find you. And I walked through and I said, to none of them spoke to me. She said, okay, I'm going to sit in the big area where all the cats are mingling. Why don't you walk through again? So the first pen was Tyson and his brother Rex. They were brought in together. And I was leaning over Tyson because he's a broken cat. You know, mm. who, wants a, who wants a broken cat? Mm. So as I leant over him to pick up his brother, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, No. And I picked him up. Yeah. And I was gone. You've been in love ever since. No, I've been in love ever yeah. since. So I went back to Kirsty's and I've decided, just which was the broken one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because I'm sure as addicts we think, Who wants a broken person? Yeah. He absolutely chose mm. me and he is, oh God, that cat is. He's, so part of my life. So Tandy, now today, are you still studying or finished? I decided not to finish my third year because okay. I believe, and it was so weird because the thing that saved me from my childhood and growing up was writing and performing. I was convinced from like four or five years old I would work in theatre and it was the thing I loved more than anything in my life. And I believe you have to, if, you're, if you want to become an actor, you are faced with so much rejection Absolutely. You have to love it more than anything or else it's not worth it. Yeah. Your your passion is going to die. And I know what it's like to want it that badly and I don't think I feel that way anymore. Okay. And I couldn't in good faith let my dad pay for another year of university, continue paying for my rent, continue paying for my car, especially because I didn't grow up wealthy. I grew up with my mom where we were evicted from a house and they yeah. moved like every six months to a year. We were mm. constantly moving. We could never afford rent. I never had nice things. So to now have the support from my dad who's doing well and live not a life of luxury, but a, lo- a life of affluence. It's yeah. uncomfortable for me. I'm not used to it. And it's also from an internal sense of still not feeling like I'm worth it. I don't say, I don't deserve this. <laughs> but I couldn't let my dad pay for another year of something okay. if I didn't know what, it was wanted, what I wanted to do. And I've always said, you know, if you see yourself doing something else happily instead of acting, do that instead. But I didn't see myself doing anything else happily because I'd never looked at any other outlets. Yeah. Because I'd always had this one thing I was so dedicated and committed to doing so I thought I'll take a year off I'll become financially responsible I'll start working I want to contribute towards my own existence because I do feel like a leech and everyone tells me you only matriculated like a couple of years ago you shouldn't feel that way and I'm like nope I'm gonna do it um, and I want to look for other outlets and I, I think we've, I've shared this before but I'm thinking of becoming an addictions counselor ah. and part of why I feel I don't need to act as much as I used to it's not an avenue I want to completely cut off but part of what acting was for me, it was the only place I could properly deal and express my emotions. And it was the only area in which I could be vulnerable. Yeah. Because I was not a vulnerable, open yeah. child. I kept so much to mm. myself. But now through meetings and having really, really mm-hmm. real and intimate connections with people, I have the place to be vulnerable all the time. And I don't feel like I need acting as an outlet as much as yeah. I used to. It's also... I I work so hard to keep my emotions stable. <laughs> it's very diff- difficult with borderline, and I feel like I need to do something where I'm not actually accessing emotions all the time. Maybe it's not healthy yeah. for me. Even kill better. Yeah. So the funny thing is I'm actually, as a sober person, I work as an alcohol promoter, <laughs> and I'm selling more alcohol than any of the people who drink. <laughs> I have a client like that. Really? <laughs> I'll be doing a TEFL course so I can teach TEFL online. Then I'm going to do a year's counseling course probably and see if it that you suits someone, me. Or I'm, I'm still deciding. Probably okay. not the more expensive one. No. <laughs> and over a year, if it is what I'm enjoying, if it is what, what I'm passionate about, I'll probably do a degree. But I'm picking up guitar. I'm doing a bunch of things this year that I've, I've never done before. Because in the same way, this is David Foster Wallace quote, 
everything I've ever let go of has claw marks in it. <laughs> and that was that was my I relationship with performing. Yeah. I was holding onto it so tightly because it was also su- such a sense of identity for me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm someone who loves the theater. Yeah. And if I don't love the theater, then I don't know who I am. So I just clung onto it because I didn't know what else I wanted. And I think I squished it. Mm. <laughs> And I realized in the same way I can only keep what I have by giving it away, you know, closed hands, receive nothing. I had to open my hand and let go of this passion, see if it comes back and see what else can be filled. So that's what this year is about for me. I think I will will always be a performer. It will always be a love of mine, but maybe not a career path. Maybe it still will be. The first thing I did when I realized I wasn't going to go back to studying was put jewelry in my face. I thought, I can get piercings now. I'm having a personality (laughs) change and I don't have to be on film. How can I externalize this internal crisis? (laughs) As of today, what's your high power? I don't have a concept of Ah. it. To me, I believe in it 100%. It's not a religious God. I've borrowed... um, I've borrowed aspects. I think everyone who's tapped into it has an idea. I think everyone's accessing the same thing, just with different words and and practices. And it's very difficult because people who tell me you've had this whole, you know, change. What is it you believe in? I can't conceptualize it because it isn't a concept. It's yeah. an experience. Oh, cool. And I don't think we're meant to understand it. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who are very invested in psychedelics, and they've had a lot of experiences, and we've had a lot of talks. Um, maybe I don't. Maybe we were created by something. Maybe something found us and and aided our our development. I don't know. I'm open to many different things, but I also believe the the trouble with opening your mind too much is that your brain might fall out. <laughs> <laughs> Bored out of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I take everything and I listen to everything, okay. all with with a, a healthy amount of consideration. I believe that it's loving. I believe it is completely able to forgive my discretions and actually knows my discretions are meant to happen because I I absolutely believe there's a plan and I believe every wrong or difficult thing that happens is part of that plan because technically nothing is right or wrong or good or bad it's all the ego's perception like like even my rape it kind of just is obviously from my ego's perception of self it was a was a horrible bad thing to happen but ultimately here I am years later being able to see the good that came from that and I don't believe in telling someone who's just experienced something traumatic yeah. not the right time yeah. in the same way you can't deal with trauma until years Absolutely. later it's someone's own personal thing to deal with but another thing that I've learned is that even the bad things that have happened to me sometimes I'm someone else's lesson because life is very much process not destination to me yeah and if you look at the immediate effect as if like the thing the place i want to be nothing makes sense but when you realize it's the slow process and things are unfolding and maybe you're not meant to be the beneficiary of every lesson sometimes you're part of it for someone else maybe someone's going to hurt you and learn from it in the future um that i find well now that we create the past no wish to shut the door exactly (laughs) exactly Exactly. It's amazing once we once we reach that phase. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it, it, it's true. Yeah. My normal last question is: Are you happy? I am, and I didn't really experience happiness up until two years ago, and it's a beautiful thing to have. I mean, even happiness is. I sometimes prefer to use the word fulfilled or content. Yeah. Because I think marketing the idea of happiness is ultimately unsustainable because you know my rape didn't ha- make me happy but ultimately it made me fulfilled the bad things don't always make me happy yeah. but they're part of me being fulfilled but i'm in a good mood today i'm in a good mood most of the time and i'm on very little meds i actually went off my antidepressant a few weeks ago oh my god and as someone who's lived depressed and been suicidal on and off since the age of eight that's amazing oh my um, god yeah i'm still on a on a low dose antipsychotic but I'm doing better for the most part than I've ever been. Are you having tweets in your head? No. <laughs> when I went off my antidepressants, I got tweets in my head. I've heard that before, and, actually. And I, I, I googled it, and that's not weird. I yeah. was walking on... I took the train from home to work, and it was a rainy morning, and I was walking on the station to work, and I heard this beautiful birds tweeting. And I said, you know, <laughs> it's pissing with rain. I don't think they, 
these trees are in my head. And it was so weird. They would come and go for a long time. I would say six months before they actually disappeared. When you first said that, I'm such a millennial, I thought you meant, are you having small things you want to tell the internet and only 160 characters come up? I'm addicted to Twitter, so that that's my husband definitely believes I'm addicted to Twitter. <laughs> so I've got tweets in my head. <laughs> Completely different. Dundee, this was absolutely bloody fantastic. I had Thank such you a fun time. So much. I'm I so, so honored appreciate to have been asked. Thank you. To make yourself available on a public holiday for me to come and indulge my hobby. I feel I indulge more than you, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Upon arriving at Tandis for the recording of this podcast, I saw a message sent by Yaku while driving there that I have left the laptop charger at home. That made the recording impossible. But, as Nelson Mandela said, it is only impossible until it gets done, or something along those lines. With cool heads addict determination and Tandy's millennial tech knowledge, the recording happened and I am incredibly grateful that it did. I am stunned at Tandy's young wisdom and get immense hope to hear how much better her coexisting conditions are these days. There is such a message there. My wish is that lots of people hear this and get to see some light for themselves through her journey. I have a new favorite quote. It is the one that Tandy used earlier by David Foster Wallace. Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. Thanks, Tandy, for bringing it into my life. I've also recently read this one by an anonymous person. If I turn it over and do not let go of it, all that happens is that I end up upside down. I love it. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za. Or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za or on Twitter at at Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.